Hello everybody and a warm welcome to our business conversation with David Holden, who is the Chief Commercial Officer Russia and CIS for Orange Business Services. I've uh, known David for a long time and it's been a pleasure uh, meeting in Moscow and uh, touching base um, in the webinar and digital age. Uh, hello David, uh, very nice to be in contact. Um, this business conversation, we'd like to kick off with just a few words about yourself and your background and in Orange. Um, how did you end up where you are? I ended up where I was by joining a competitor of uh, Orange. I joined BT, uh, left Lucent, joined BT and uh, specifically joined BT to come over here because I'd worked the region with Lucent prior to that. I came over with BT and then BT had their troubles uh, around about 2012, 2013, and decided to downsize. So I left, joined iAccelerate, worked with Guy Wilner for a while before uh, joining Orange and coming back to Telco. So I've been around here since uh, 2007. Right. And then the other personal question, why Russia? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess twofold, really. Um, I ended up working in the region predominantly because uh, working for Lucent, the IP market had predominantly gone, or the Ethernet aggregation market had gone to Alcatel uh, in Europe, so we needed to aim somewhere different. So I spent a lot of time developing the market in uh, CIS and Russia. So I got an interest over here in the country. And uh, once I'd moved with BT, what I found was Running a team in Western Europe, I could make incremental changes. I could make incremental differences. Here, I could make fundamental step change difference. And I found that far more fun, far more interesting. And working here in Russia, it's never boring. Yeah. <laughs> and the Russians are quite nice. Most well, I don't have, yeah, I'm married. <laughs> well, you found one. I'm glad. Good. What we'd like to do, David, is uh, kick off just with an, an opening question on the global environment and then, of course, kick, uh, kick into Russia specifically. 2020 has been COVID year. We're in 2021 and, of course, it's not over. Um, what have you been seeing in your industry and company, just global trends and uh, that kind of dynamic? Well, I, I think a number of things. Um, being a telco, um, one of the areas of revenue streams that we have is roaming. Uh, people haven't been roaming. Um, and it's not just people because um, when you look at Internet of Things, connected car, cars haven't been roaming. So a little bit of a drop in that revenue stream, to say the least. Then I think so, and that's on a global basis. Also, other trends we've seen globally is the perimeters changed. Um, when you think about your cybersecurity perimeter, in the past it was your office and you had a connection to your corporate internet that was firewalled, uh, internet and, um, sorry, intranet, and the connection to the internet that was firewalled and you worked within this confined space, this totally protected space. Well, that perimeter's changed because people are working at home and that means you've got many, many more egress and egress points for data to go out, ingress points for uh, strange things to come in. 
You've got people using many more different devices, which has increased the security complexity immensely in our industry. Um, the one thing that everybody forgets is the, the biggest security problem an organization has is its own people. Within uh, an organization, you can have policies and you can set them and run them and monitor them and manage them in the office. But when people are at home, things become a, a lot, lot harder to, to manage. So we've seen that. We've seen big changes in the way that businesses operate. Uh, I think you and I had this discussion before about uh, single channel businesses often went out of business. Multi-channel businesses survived. Omni-channel businesses thrived. So we've seen a lot of changes there in the way business communicates with people. We've seen changes in the way that they secure their business. We've seen changes in the way that they operate their business. And I think uh, within Russia, all of those are true, except for perhaps the roaming, because we're, we're not a mobile carrier here. We're, we're only um, a land carrier, so we, we weren't affected by the roaming here. But obviously, being part of a larger corporation, um, those things still do affect us. Mm -hmm. In in summary, and I, it's a, you know a very vague question, David. In summary, you know if we look at the farmer industry, we say, wow, pretty good, generally good and positive and strong. If we look at the hotel industry, hospitality generally bad, although maybe not as bad as expected. For your industry overall, is it as you were implying there mixed, or would you say we survived better than we expected and it's looking good? Just you know in general terms for the industry. I think for the industry, not, not for us specifically here, but for the industry, one of the things that was happening prior to COVID was people were treating the telecommunications industry and looking at it almost as a commodity. Yet when COVID hit and people needed to change their environment, needed to move, they came back to realizing that, you know, quality uh, connectivity, quality telecom services are absolutely required to run their business. Um, so what we found is on that side, we've become much, uh, I guess, more important to, to businesses today to run. Um, I think it's been in that way positive, but you have to offset the positive with the negative of certain revenue drops like that. With, within Russia, as I say, we didn't get the negativity of the, um, the roaming loss. So what we got was the the positive side of things. We saw a lot of positives in, you know, bandwidth changes, additional security, particularly things like Internet Umbrella, because you cannot believe the amount of um, uh, DDoS and hacking attacks that have been going on since people moved home. Mm -hmm. Thanks, David. That's helpful. You've already touched upon uh, a bit of the theme I want to delve into, of course, now that the meat of our conversation, Russia. Um, could you elaborate on some of the things you've just been saying about it and expand on, on new ones? You know, the question would be, you know, has Russia performed very differently pre-COVID as well, by the way, and COVID and the outlook for the future? You said, you know, in your own career, you can make step changes and so forth. It's obviously different from the big mature markets. So what's the general picture of uh, the Russian market, um, again, for your customers, the industry, and uh, how it might be the same as global or different? <coughs> well, I, yeah, um, I mean, if you forget about COVID for a moment, 
and just look at some of the fundamentals that are happening. There's this big move towards um, Internet of Things, both the uh, business to consumer connected devices uh, through to what is the inter uh, industrial Internet of Things. And that's been happening. So that's causing many, many changes within the, within the industry. So we were having those changes going on whilst people were wanting to change and work at home or wanting to have a hybrid environment. I think the whole thing's been in flux. And whilst I say it wasn't our best ever year, it wasn't. We certainly did well. Um, we did better than we expected at the start of it, better than the corporation expected. So I think overall, we've had a reasonably good time. Um, we certainly had a very interesting time because, as I say, you've got the changes brought on by industrial internet things, you've got the changes brought on by COVID, the move to homework, changing of everybody's network. Then you've also got a technological shift where people are moving away from the traditional MPS, MPLS fixed style networks to um, much more hybrid environments using technologies like software-defined WAN where networking becomes an on-demand service and all of those things were happening at once so we had an incredibly busy crazy but uh, certainly interesting year mm, wow i was just wondering uh, as we're talking i said uh, we, we i'd be chipping in things as they come to mind across other sectors and industries uh, david i'm seeing a bifurcation what you triggered me when you said quality so I'm seeing in you know, consumer products and B2B as well, um, many of our clients are saying affordable, cheap promotion is doing well yeah. and premium quality is doing well. Uh, and that's a reflection of societies, but also consumers and companies. And the mid range is weaker. I just wonder in your industry, are you seeing that dynamic with the consumers? And then related, so I might follow up question to this, um, competition, be it from Asia or anywhere else, um, and you know, maybe unfairly, I say at the lower price scale. So, how is the market structure, you know, and is there intensified competition at the lower end or not? Well, we don't, we don't operate B two C, so we don't mm -hmm. really touch that. I mean, what we do do though is provide capacity to some of the B2C operators and that's definitely price pressured. Um, in our market, we tend to deal with the top 20% and the global MNCs. What we're sort of finding, what we're finding is, you know, initially people started to try and move towards something we, we termed SD-WAN technology, software-defined uh, networking, and they were trying to do it, oh, we can move to the internet and do everything ourselves. And, and that was a drive, but that stopped. Because suddenly they realized they weren't set up to be a 24 by seven support organization. And what we've found is capacity itself, raw capacity is under pressure. And the, the, there is competition, both um, local and international, but at the, the management layer, not really. And so customers are really tend to be splitting that into, into two areas. They are treating some of the internet connectivity as um, commodity, but the management of that, the 24 by seven service of that, the provisioning of that, the delivery, the security of that is not. So I think 
what we're finding is the management side of what we're doing is being valued more and more, which is akin to what you, you talk about premium in the consumer area, whereas the internet style bandwidth is, is tending to commoditize. So we're having a little bit of a stretch with, our, with the, the products in a different way. But in all honesty, we've always in our industry, ourselves and our competition have focused upon the management layer anyway. So customers and clients are starting to see things in the same way as we do. Um, there, there is pressure, there is price pressure, particularly in those organizations that are stuck in the middle. Um, they're the ones coming to us saying, hey, can we do something in a more economic way? Can we save money? Can we do this? Can we outsource? Um, but the bulk of our customers are much, much more interested in always on high quality and, you know, the ability to deliver digital services. And I go back to the omni-channel point that I made earlier. If they can talk to their customers regardless with one, you know, single way of engaging with them, then they continue business. And that, and that during COVID became more and more critical. Um, an ability to constantly engage with their customers. And that's what we gave. So I believe that, <laughs> I think our business is changing. Our business is changing, you know, one way, the other way. There's a combination of network and service and digital and IT on top of that. But in terms of profitability, in terms of what we offer the market, the mix is good, it's staying good and we have the flexibility to move with what the market needs. Oh, that uh, sounds positive. Um, take that to you. In a way, I'm going back to some of the comments you've made, David. And then the next question I'd like to look at is, you know, how Westerners and the media judges the Russian market and sanctions. But um, the, uh, the thing I'm thinking about is the mood, you've already touched it, the mood of your clients, you've got many business and private friends in Russia. What's the general business mood there? You know, reading the press, you think things are pretty miserable and that. I know you know it's a bit different, but it also can be nuanced. But given that your customers are looking at quality, that sounds like a good trend. But overall, the mood, how is it? Um, let's start by, by talking about the corporate mood, our corporate mood. Um, we, like most of the Western companies that work here, regularly have to be talking to headquarters because we, we need to offset some of the uh, negativity that you see in the Western press. Um, I don't think I've seen a positive story about Russia in two years in the Western press, and I do read it. Um, so we do a lot to offset the negativity. Um, and it's difficult because if constantly you read bad press about Russia, terrible place, terrible market, it's uh, completely you know, controlled by the police state, which I mean, you and I know is not correct, but it's rammed through people's throats. You know, it makes it difficult because we have to ask for large investments in the country. In the country, We have to ask for new products or ask for money to put the new products in place. So, you know, we're, we're constantly running our own internal public relations to deal with that. However, when it comes down to things like sanctions, again, that can be viewed negatively or positively. You know, we've had them since 2009. 
And I think I've been coming to your events since before that. And I don't think any year in any of these events have we said, oh, it's been terrible. Business has shrunk every damn year. You know, since we've known each other, business is growing and growing well in Russia. Um, a lot of what we need to educate both particularly our own business and new entrants, because we do get a lot of new entrants talking to us, is that sanctions, you know, it's business as usual for people here. Um, we've been living with them since 2009. And, and let's be honest, what do they do to our businesses? They make them a little bit more bureaucratic. We have to do checks. We have to have processes. We have to have tight governance in place. But it doesn't stop us doing business. It just makes it a little bit more bureaucratic. And indeed, you can turn that on its head. And I think um, we've discussed at a number of events, either around the tables or with yourself uh, on the stage, where actually operating here, understanding the sanctions, having an auditable process, makes a lot of the Western companies much, much more keen to work with us because it protects their... Um, it protects their reputation and it protects them from making mistakes. So I, I don't see it as a bad environment to work in. Um, I do think those uh, operating in the middle ground will struggle more, but where we're positioned, I don't see it being a problem. And I think we can leverage what we have to continue growing the company. Thank you. Uh, and as you know, David, and you suggested, I'm on board with that because I think, sadly, the ruble is impacted by the political risk, which is affected by the expectations of vigorous U.S. sanctions. Uh, in April, we had the U.S. sanctions, which were were not, you know, uh, deep cutting. And again, we're on a manageable scale. Uh, it's, there is an element of drip drip and it does affect morale. And it probably means companies have to spend more time communicating with headquarters and doing that public relations. It certainly doesn't make it easier. But uh, I'm on board with you on that. And your business reflects what's happening with your customers and with the, the companies that uh, I work with. Just uh, going in, you've touched already on several aspects of digitalization. I'd like to, you know, again, the outside media comment or certainly the layman in the street in the West would imagine Russia, digital, IT, well, there's a few brainy Russians, but generally pretty backward and primitive, uh, not very good. By the way, I think, you know, mid-sized Russian companies, I, I, I've seen some three, four years ago using Abacus, Shotty, in the offices in Moscow, but there are also um, real IT leaders uh, in, the in the industries in Russia. You know them even better than me. So how would you judge Russia as a, you know, digital IT market and their competencies? You know, you've only got to look at Yandex or Spurs move to being a, a digital organization or Mail.ru. Uh, those three are building huge capabilities. Ross Telecom are building capabilities as well. Um, and some of these capabilities are amongst the best in the world and can compete against many other people. If you take a look at um, Yandex when they, when they launched the taxi application, they completely wiped out you, Uber. Uh, indeed, now their delivery application that supported loads of pensioners during uh, the first lockdown is being launched in Paris, is being launched in London and being launched in a couple of cities in the States. 
so no i i, I mean i it's uh the country is inventive it's digitally driving forward i mean so much so that orange opened um what they call a fab which is basically a startup incubator down at uh, skulkova um, and we opened that up two years ago so no we do not see it as a problematic market there's a lot of clever people here like in a lot of other countries what they lack is this SME startup ability support matrix that's everywhere else that the Russian government have tried to impl uh, implement, implement one by using Skullcover, and it's something that we're involved with, and most of the Western technology companies are involved with because there's a lot of brain power here, a lot of inventiveness here that we can leverage and take forward. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, just a little closing follow-up one on this. The Russian government and its use of digital, there are some clear case studies there. Overall, do you think they're also at the forefront, you know, Gossoslugi and other things? Um, we tend not to be involved too much with it, but um, if I compare here to when I'm in the UK, and I still do travel between the two because dual pieces of paper lets me do that, I must say that there are areas where the UK is ahead of Russia and there are areas where Russia is ahead of the UK. Um, no, I, I, I think in terms of digitally integrated cities, Moscow is one of the best in the world for being um, digitally integrated. I think um, in terms of some of the support systems, particularly now that they've digitized my documenting, um, are getting much, much easier. You know, remember when you first came here, you were traipsing around various um, offices to you know, get various stamps on various bits of bloody paper. Now most of it's done online. And that's for me as a uh, foreigner. And it's even easier for, for Russians. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned it a little bit, and you, I think you've covered it to some extent, but obviously uh, you talked about the perimeter, home office, etc. Cybersecurity yeah. in general, I think it's worth repetition of you know, new comments by you, David. How important is that generally and to your business? Uh, well, I, gosh, uh, I don't have the figures to hand, um, but... 2020, the COVID time, they, there was exponentially more cyber attacks than there was in any other year. Uh, and that, that, that was predominantly caused by this movement of the perimeter from this secured, known, easily controllable perimeter to a perimeter that's not known, um, exacerbated by, you know, IoT, because IoT devices suddenly become... Um, part of this internet, part of this ability to get into your business. I mean, who would have thought you could hack a fridge and get into a company's uh, business by doing that? But hey-ho, if you've got a connected fridge, you can hack it. So yes, I've seen a lot of changes there. Um, one of the things I saw in Russia, we saw some of the biggest denial of service DDoS attacks ever on the Russian banks. and. You know, Ross Telecom and ourselves as the two biggest providers of um, anti-DDoS umbrella protection, you know, we were hard pressed, but we protected uh, the industry. We didn't have any major outages 
but there was some massive attacks uh, made on the banking system in Russia that was uh, protected. So we're seeing a lot happening. We're seeing a lot of development in cyber services. And we as a company are not only providing our own cyber services through our CyberSoc, but through our tier one capability, we're actually providing uh, other uh, carriers and other service providers that's that very same capability so we're enabling other carriers to jump in and have this capability to spread the ability to protect against these attacks right oh, well. just uh, anecdotally not scientific and i'm making up the numbers david you said you didn't have the numbers in your head and i don't but uh, you know just anecdotally in austria there's been more hacking going on. And I was speaking with my IT advisor here in Austria. He said something like, you know, your exponential point. He said, Danny, pre-COVID, it was 100 billion, hack, 100 billion hacks in a year. And now it's 300 billion hacks in a year. Not sure if those numbers are scientific precise, but it started massive and it went exponential massive. So there's something going on for sure. So that's interesting to know. I'd like to move into to people. And before we, before we talk work from home and carry it from a different angle, the perimeter story, just uh, you've got a long experience in Russia and working with Russian colleagues and so on. The nice news we can share, I believe, is you know the quality and retention, motivation of the Russian staff in general. Um, just to share with you, you know, before COVID for 10 years, um, executives across the board, Western investors, were saying our Russian staff is excellent, you know, in the top three, top five, top 10 in the world. And I must say, David, anecdotally, you know, we're talking with 300 people this year, and also in our surveys and webinars, there's been a lot of strong positive commentary about how the Russian staff have adapted to work from home, technology, their quality, their skills and so forth. I don't want to whitewash them and say they're all wonderful and, and, and magnificent. They're not all, but it's a comparative story. Um, how was just in general terms? Oh, and general terms, sorry. And then another thing, um, you know, business in Central Europe and Russia is not bad, as we've been saying, um, better than other regions. And I'm finding, you know, the issue in Russia is Yes, voluntary work, um, voluntary uh, leaving of a company is um, is down. People want security, but top talent can leave, and you know you have to keep your eye on them and you have to motivate them, etc. So, two questions really: um, How good are the Russian staff in in general terms, and um, do companies have to hang on to their good staff and their digital people? Well, okay. Well, I mean. If I look at my team, I've got a great team. Um, my my management team just pulled, pulled together completely under this and every single one of them has gone completely out of their way to make sure that the team is uh, looked after, supported, managed, helped. So I think we've done really well, particularly with my direct reports. Um, we, we struggled a little bit, uh, slightly lower down where there, there, there is a, I need to have my people there to manage them attitude, which is very, comes back, you know, historic from the country and very different from that that you and I grew up with, where homework was just pretty much the norm. You went in the office when you had to do. And I think what this year's done is it's taught um, some of those managers who were reluctant that, hey, I can do this. I can manage my team just as well 
if they're physically with me in the office or they're remote. So I think it's um, improved the management skills of quite a lot of people. I think also it's taught uh, a lot of people in the company I work here how to get a better work-life balance. Um, people who are always in the office and live two, three hours drive away, now, now or even though we're 50% back, um, come in when they need to come in. Come in to do specific things for meetings, for client stuff, for uh, producing uh, bids and proposals, and work the rest of the time from home or from the customer site. So I, I think there's been an improvement in the sort of general way that Russian staff work. Um, it's something we pushed for a long time, but nobody really wanted because, oh, no, it won't work. It won't work. And COVID's put them in the position where they have decided, not we told them, they have decided, hey, this is a good idea and it works. So I think I don't think this will ever come back to what we had prior to this. I think it'd be much more akin to the model that we grew up with, where if you were working in the, in the London office, you went in when you needed to for reasons that you needed to, which I think is better. Um, in terms of staff retention, yes, there, there is a degree of loyalty. I know certain companies that said, well, our revenues are down. We're going to cut your paid days to four. Not going to name names. You know the same companies as I do. We didn't. Um, I know companies that um, didn't pay their bonuses. We paid every penny. And that, I mean, particularly my team, the, the sort of sales and marketing side of things, has engendered a great deal of loyalty because other companies didn't. And they know who didn't and who did. So, yes, there's loyalty there. I think... Um, when it comes to losing top staff, I don't think it's top staff because I, I haven't had a single top performer leave me. I think it's speciality knowledge that the market's going after. And you mentioned it before about digital. Um, if you've got a specialist in digital security or you've got a specialist that can deal with Internet of Things and handle, you know, uh, design and implementation of that, those are people that they're going after. If you've got a cloud specialist, you know, people are going to come after them. So I think the hard thing that we we see is that people are going pinpoint recruiting skill sets. And then you're, you're into the position where, well, you can't pay somebody with one skill set that's equally valuable to your company a lot more than another skill set because, hey, you've got two guys. So, and you can't put everybody's salary up. So you're, you're in this environment where you're looking for multiple ways of motivating. And we, I must say, we're not the highest payer on the market. We never have been. But I think we we build an environment where we take away the pressure for, you know, if someone's going to offer, you know, 10,000 rubles a month more, they're not likely to jump for that. But if you give them a couple hundred thousand more, well, yeah, okay, all of the additional things, everything you put around the package goes away because, you know, a couple of hundred thousand or more a month, I'm going bye-bye, they say. Not too badly hit. And but we, we are in one or two areas and we're having to recruit again to get that skill set back and looking at ways of developing people as well, because 
if you bring somebody in who doesn't quite have that skill set and you invest, you send them off to Paris, you send them off to London, you send them to um, San Fran and you educate them, you bring them in and you do all that investment in them, then you build a loyalty. And you can also, you know, put something in there to stop them leaving if they take all the training and come on board and do this. So, yeah, we're losing people occasionally and painfully, but the plan of bringing people on and developing and investing in them does mean that we create a loyalty. Uh, I loved your comment about pinpoint recruiting skill sets. I've not heard that phrase yet, um, but it's absolutely spot on. And you described very well, David, you know, multiple ways of motivating. Uh, absolutely, that's, uh, that, that's key as well. Uh, I'm certainly seeing that, uh, you know, as I talked about the digital and digital premium, and uh, but you were very well described that issue. You know, if you give a salary increase to somebody in a certain set, what you do, you can't give it to everybody. It's uh, it's a real challenge for HR. There's no doubt uh, about that. I'd like to take us back a little bit to the you touched on work from home in this discussion already, yeah. but uh, more of your uh, you know with what Orange things corporately corporately. And your own view, you know, what will um, the offices in Moscow look like, you know, in 12 months time and two, three years time? Just one wrap up, that's the question, David. But, you know, I was interested in your comment. You said you're 50% back yeah. um, in the office. Um, you know, if um, we do surveys and I ask people, it's a range from 15 to 90. Um, so at the moment, and we're in flux. Uh, and that's for Western companies. Uh, I would say most Western companies are still today, before the end of the May holiday, you know, at 25.30, and they may pick that up at the end of the holiday period. Um, of course, lockdown has impacted Russia much less than, you know, I I'm sitting in Austria, but if you look at the other European markets, Czech Republic, Hungary, uh, there's a considerable lockdown. The average in offices would be, you know, 10 to 15. So Russia is a, a different dynamic on that. But obviously, I think the trend will be more and more as the, the vaccines hopefully kick in. But back to the question, you know, how do you see uh, the, the, the HR and the business world running um, over the next 18 months? Well, let's take a look at us. Um, we went through the 10%, 30%. 50% maximum occupancy. Now, I keep saying maximum occupancy because when we were at 30%, I think one day we got to it. Most days we were running around about 15%. We're now at 50. I don't think we've gone above 35% um, because we don't need to. People don't want to. So what we're doing is changing the environment within the office. Indeed, we're about, we've actually, one of our offices, our main office in Moscow, we've cut by 25% uh, in terms of size. Why? We don't need it. Um, you know, I've got a couple of teams that work um, admin and they're, they're on, their job's always been on demand. And the interesting thing was the type of people in there tend to be mothers. I, 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 it's not that we recruited them, it just seems to be the work that they gravitated to. So we found that they don't want to work in the office anymore. As far as they're concerned, they're working on demand and they've delivered everything on time, every day without any issue. Um, so, you know, they, they, they're coming in once every week or every two weeks for sort of team stuff and that, but they're not in every day. 
And we're seeing more and more teams like that. We're seeing the sales teams working like that. So as well as taking down the amount of space we've got, we've sort of rapidly been investing to change the space we've got. Um, instead of having people having fixed desks, having park desk areas, but also more sort of formal meeting rooms and informal meeting spaces where, you know, you have a, a large table, you have the, the screen that anybody can use where people come in and work together and they book a space to work in. And people want to do that. You know, they're becoming the, the sort of communal workspaces. Oh, I want that. I want to work there with my team. So it's already happening. And I we, we talked about it. We think uh, as a team that this will continue and it will morph over time. We don't know what it's going to morph into. It's going to be an interesting journey and we're just going to have to learn as we go forward. But we've already changed and we believe over the next two years we'll change further. But we're not quite sure which way we'll change. But we're never, I don't think we're ever going back to what we had because people don't want it. We don't need it. And, you know, you talked about motivating staff. If you can take away three hours of travel a day, that's a motivation factor for somebody as well. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more, David. Uh, the number you quoted there, you know, your office space down 25%. I see that as a good benchmark. You know, if we pick a number, you know, I think in 18 months, most offices will be down. And I'm seeing that trend already. It depends on when people can have a lease. Um, we can pick any big capital city of uh, an emerging market uh, and think of traffic and congestion. Yeah. But like you, a hundred times you have seen it, but I've remember standing on the 20th floor of the Swiss Hotel and looking down at the boulevards and streets at seven in the evening and seeing it just stood still. And I'm thinking, how many hours are people sitting there? You know, it's a, a little cliche uh, of anything. Just just on this, though, David, I'm thinking, I got a comment the other day about, you know, our staff are very, very good. They've adapted to home office and everything. In Russia, for salespeople, say, yes, sales, um, you know, your experiences are your customers and in general what you know. This executive said, our salespeople, you know, they were always in and out. So now they're at home, they're in the office. And of course, in Russia, they're on the road. They are meeting clients uh, and so on and customers. So they're, they're quite mixed. Um, she said, that um, she's the managing director. She said one problem the salespeople have had in her company though, is they're a little bit under more control now with the digital age. As I say, Russia is looser. In some markets, your sales force are 80%, 95% digital working. But she said, she, her comment was, Danny, when our salespeople are talking with a customer digital, it means their boss of the company, their direct report, can hop into the call as well and just sit in on it and, you know, give advice and inputs if necessary and monitor their role. And she said, of course, that the, the salespeople despise this. And it's, like, it's just a little story. But, you know, the, I'm thinking more the salespeople are now there behaving. And then another thing we've had, not just one company, is with digital, you can maintain your existing relations with customers pretty well. Um, you, you want to meet them and uh, shake their hand and so on. 
But we're getting more and more comments from other markets as well around the world that to make new relationships and in your business to show innovation, you know, hey, here's our product, it's really new and exciting and you should buy it. Trying to do that digitally is very difficult. So my question is on sales and digital, in Russia is it such a big thing or are your sales boys and girls able to circumvent it? Okay, I'm gonna sort of come back with a slightly different tact on that, but um, we, in terms of this overt supervision, yeah, I, I got some of that from certain elements and certain areas of the business, our HR people wanting us to check what they're doing stuff, but I'm, I'm not like that. So we don't do it, I just don't allow it. It, it, it shows a total lack of trust in people, uh, a total lack of trust in their ability and if you start monitoring what they're doing, well, you start to create a very oppressive environment and people leave in that. So no, I don't monitor. I mean, come on, I don't care how they do it as long as they hit their results and they stay compliant. So we haven't done yeah. that. When it comes to, to customers, as you know, we've we got three types of business. Renewal business, okay, that we can manage through, you know, digital means. We've got new services to existing customers, what we term get business. Um, yes, we can mostly deal with that. Then we've got new customer acquisition, new business. That's the most difficult to, to manage. We, we did have some um, notable successes through doing it. Um, the way we did that was through, um, we sort of hybridized what we were doing. We started bringing customers and um, potential clients onto discussion forums together where we presented, they discussed, they gave feedback. And the fact that their peers were buying from us gave them the confidence to start talking to us. It's not as easy when you're doing that, but it was a way forward. What my challenge is now is I'm now in a hybrid environment. You know, I'm vaccinated, some of my staff are vaccinated. Um, some of us are traveling, some of us are not. We ran two customer events, one in Novosibirsk and one in Vladivostok that I attended both. Um, we had orange people there. We had orange people digitally there. We had partner people there. We had partner people from several countries digital there. We were doing demonstrations and discussions over both digital and face-to-face. And, -face. Um, you know, my marketing team, Daria, who you met Leeds, um, started off with this, we have to move from face-to-face -to, -face to digital. Now we're in 2021 and we've got to hybridize it. We need to have hybrid digital and physical events. You know, if you're going to have um, a sort of uh, social uh, feedback session with a number of clients, customer advisory board, and you're going to have uh, food and drinks, how do you do that? Do you do it, you know, you get everybody together, half of them don't come, or do you set up the connectivity in the screen so that half of you are there around the table and the other half have actually had delivered by a certain time a set meal plus set drinks and can join in and actually be around the table and you do that. Uh, trying to organize that, trying to organize, you know, hybrid events and, get, and keeping this connectivity so that clients can talk to you. It's difficult, but I think clients value the fact that now they can talk to us. I went, I was in, again, Novice Burst, and uh, I went to see a large Western company out there, the CIO is an American, 
he was just amazed to see somebody. He said he hadn't actually met any supplier of anything, any partner in 14 months. And I was the first Westerner he'd seen in 14 months. And he was just so delighted to to actually be there and to, to meet people. So I think the move the, the move back to face-to-face is important, but you've got to hybridize because if you try and move straight back to face-to-face, not everybody's going to come with you. That's... And hybridizing is so difficult. But then that's part of what I, I mentioned right at the start, which is omnichannel. Having the ability to communicate with your customers by multiple methods, multiple ways, all of them um, managed as if it's one interface. So people can deal with you face to face. They can deal with your video digital and have the same look, feel and get exactly the same. And that's difficult, but it's fun. All right. Wow. Lovely. Lovely, David. I'm very glad to know that you've become partially a food delivery company. And, uh, <laughs> I'm in my dacha at the moment and I'll send the address over. So, uh, yeah, good for that. Good. If you Great, believe, Danny. <laughs> it's no, the, um, I love the content about bringing your, you know, prospective clients with your existing ones yeah. for, a, for a conversation. That's the way I know. And the, the, the hybrid events look like that for the future, as, as I'm sure you're seeing, you know, anecdotally in the market and everywhere in the world and talking with my Russian friends digitally. Um, cliche split amongst my Russian friends and colleagues, you know, 50 percent want to go out business wise and personally want to go out, party, socialize, drink and do everything. And 50 percent are much more conservative, don't want to go to that meeting, don't want to leave the home office and want to order pizza in and watch Netflix or whatever it is. Yeah. So I, th I think that's a human response to stress and crisis and virus. And uh, of course, in Russia, there's been less of a lockdown, which is a, uh, a different dynamic. And also your point, uh, Dave, you know, the multiple ways, not just hybrid, but three, four, five, six ways of approaching it. And you did say, though, something like a consistent platform or a consistent, you know, yeah. vision approach, brand, call it what you will. So they're being hit in these different ways. That's great. Uh, David, just uh, we've touched a lot. Anything we've left out or you'd like to uh, understand? I, I think um, you talked about technology, but one area that we haven't touched on that seems to be making quite significant changes is the Internet of Things, both in the B2C environment, which is primarily a sim play, uh, and the industrial Internet environment, which is either sort of large-scale integration or very bespoke. I mean, example, if you're providing health uh, equipment, you're not going to allow that to be integrated willy-nilly because of health laws. But the, the, there's a lot of movement in that in Russia. And um, I think COVID definitely drove telemedicine. Um, you saw companies like Philips driving forward with that, with the discussions with the Russian government. Um, a lot more focus on why you know a year or two ago it was oh it's interesting let's do internet things and let's all get excited now it's all about what's the financial bait what's the financial reason for doing it and it, it's very it's very interesting because we're seeing homegrown products here that we're working with and that we're integrating that 
we're taking here and suddenly group orange group are looking at them going hey hey we want that um we've just done a couple of uh, things one where we're doing a lot of fuel control with uh, fuel control with the uh, maritime environment where you know i didn't even realize that 50 percent of the cost of um and if any ship is its fuel and you know if you can say 15 percent on that who cares about the satellite connectivity because hey you've just wiped out that's wiped out that completely with the saving and uh, you know that's something that came from russia um we started doing a lot of geolocation stuff around coal grading sounds stupid but um saves thousands and thousands of euros a day and these are things that group are looking at and wow we like this from russia uh, we want to take this, we want to make this a global product, we want to take what they're doing in mining in Russia and deploy it in South Africa or in Western Africa. We want to take what's going on in maritime and deploy it globally. So I think there's a lot happening and a lot of this internet of things, particularly industrial internet of things in our environment, is coming out of our development, out of Skolkova, out of Russian companies. And that's one thing that it is not planned to get products from Russia and take them to the world. It's just the fact that they're better than anything else or they're seen as better than everything else and then taken to the rest of the world. So that's still happening. And, you know, other companies in the, the mobile space are doing the same thing on um, B2C uh, Internet of Things. So I think that's going to be an area that will change a lot of things. And it will also drive a lot more change because, hey, you've just increased your security perimeter again. Well, your security perimeter now includes coal delivery trucks or whatever. So where do you go with that? So uh, lots of change still happening. But I think, again, this is another area where Russia is driving things ahead and doing really well. Wow. I think that's a nice note to finish on, David. You know, we wanted to be upbeat and positive about Russia. We, I think, interjected several comments there, and you did. Very pleased to hear that. And uh, yeah exporting ideas and technology from Russia to other parts of the world, a, a good message to uh, share with everybody, including our listeners. And in terms of time, David, it's about perfect. Uh, we, uh, we we did a good session there. And I think for the, uh, the stamina of our listeners, it's time to close off. Uh, thanks immensely. I was looking forward to this and I've enjoyed it a lot. And um, thank you very much. And. Uh, a formal close to our conversation, which will be distributed to many, many people. All the best, David. Thanks, David Dunning. Cheers.